I've had dogs. You have? Doggy Chow. Oh, I used to love Doggy Chow. <laughs> I used to love Doggy Chow too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Girl Blogger the Podcast. I am Brett Collins, as you all should know by now. And yeah, um, God, I mean, obviously, and just like that is going to take up, you know, a majority of time here because there was just so much like, oh, it like stresses me out to just even think about that fucking show that has just kind of taken over my life and it's not good, but like, oh my God, it's just, it's, there was this Angelina Jolie tattoo, I believe, she has that says like what nourishes me destroys me it's just that's how I feel about and just like that it's very similar to the Evan Ross Katz quote that I love where he says it was harrowing but then I had fun it's like this very bizarre combination of pleasure and pain honestly it's yeah it's BDSM it is BDSM in a show that is what the tone is okay but before I get into all that bullshit I figured I would talk about a few other little things that piqued my interest that aren't and just like that. So first and foremost is Priscilla, this gorgeous Tumblr aesthetic, you know, sad girl Lana Del Rey film that is coming out that of course is directed by none other than Sofia Coppola. My thing with Sofia Coppola, I also kind of a conflicting thing because I always get so excited for all her movies. They always look so fucking cool and so fucking visually beautiful that I'm always like, oh, this is going to be it. This is going to be the movie that changes my life. This movie is going to be so exciting and I'm going to be so enthralled and it's just going to be so amazing. And here's the thing. Her films are amazing if you're looking at them as like stills on Tumblr. But they're never very exciting. You're never really getting, you know, amped up when you're actually in the theater watching a Sofia Coppola film. But the images last with you. And that's just kind of what I have to remind myself. Because I remember specifically with The Bling Ring when that came out in like 2013, I think. I it just, you know, because that one looks more a little action-packed. Like there was car wrecks and there was theft and there was you know, cops and jail time. And it was like, ooh, this is going to be, you know, her big, like, almost like teetering on action film but it was that was not the case at all she somehow made it you know very kind of boring throughout most of the film but like always it was visually beautiful and I still enjoyed it aesthetically which this new Priscilla film could be so anyway so it's about obviously Priscilla Presley and her I think more focused on her youth and and upon meeting Elvis and it's based on Priscilla Presley's memoir, actually, called Melvis and Melvis, Elvis and Me, which I haven't actually read. And I think that's actually grammatically incorrect. Shouldn't it be Elvis and I, Priscilla? Whatever, who gives a fuck? She's fabulous. Haven't read it. Maybe I will. Probably won't. But whatever. I'm obviously going to see the film, and it looks stunning. So somebody named Kaylee Spaney is Priscilla, and Jacob Alordi as Elvis. And these are great castings, for sure. They look amazing. However, I will say, and this is honestly a very impressive uh, characteristic to hold as a person that Priscilla should really hang on to, and I feel like everyone's going to agree with me on this, even though it's kind of a hot take, is that Priscilla Presley is one of the few historic celebrities that obviously there's been a ton of people that portray her in various things throughout the years and the actresses they've picked to portray her have never been quite as chic and beautiful and amazing as Priscilla Presley herself like Priscilla Presley has such this natural striking look to her it's very like what the girls are getting you know surgically done these days with that whole fox eye brow lift thing but Priscilla just always had those like upward turn upward turned eyes. I mean, I think she did have false lashes, but just like the iconic lashes, iconic brow shape. Like she was just like chic and very like cat like in a natural way. And it was just 
it's just perfect. And I guess it's very hard to replicate because none of these actresses that are playing her are, are just, none of them are as hot as she was. And it's, it's really something special, I think, because typically, of course, we know any person that's cast, typically the actors are hotter than the person that they're playing or like the, the real life person that they're portraying. But you know, Priscilla, yeah, again, just no one's, no one's been able to be as hot as her. So that's really just something that I always took note of that I wonder if other people have. And I feel like they have. Um, so yeah, that's coming out. And I feel like, I mean, everyone are more uh, aware of it now because of the, you know, grooming keyword and how that's played about or, you know, just, I feel like people use that all the time. It kind of goes hand in hand with gaslighting and grooming too. But Priscilla met Elvis when she was 14 and he was 24. So a 10-year age gap is pretty big. Sometimes doesn't seem as dramatic, but obviously that she was underage. Like, whoa, that's pretty scandalous. Like, obviously that would be illegal now and Elvis would probably be thrown in jail. But that was their age gap and... Uh, they got married when she was 21, so I guess he was like 31 or 32. And yeah, there's not much, it's just a teaser trailer, so we don't see too much other than the characters and screen caps and just, yeah, it's kind of like a mood board vibe is what this is. And the title card that says Priscilla is laid over this like powder blue silk that's kind of wrinkled on a bed or something it's it's very beautiful and I'm very into it this is yeah this is gonna be overloading everyone's tumblr feed when it actually does come out but yeah just something I'm looking forward to and wanted to speak about because why the fuck not and just like that I'll have plenty to say about in a minute okay next is something completely different and something that I typically wouldn't really talk about or give a fuck about but it was just so in your face that I feel like it has to be talked about and there ended up some ended up being some pretty wild and funny things to this story but Ocean Gate Ocean Gate was wild like uh, I mean it's just so funny there was this great uh TikTok or reel or something that I saw on Instagram of some girl being like oh like people assume that if you have money you're smart but this has proven that that's really not the case and it's so true because so first of all these people had to pay there was five people on this tiny little like mini submarine thing where the brand of the submarine or the business that does this is literally called ocean gate people paid a quarter million dollars five people paid a quarter million dollars each to take this ill-fated ill-fated submersive journey adventure down into the ocean to see the titanic remains and like people are so obsessed with the titanic and i get it like it's it is an interesting story but like why do you want to look at all that garbage at the bottom of the ocean like we've seen it in the actual film the titanic like i've seen video footage of that was the real titanic and if you see it in that sense, why do you need to see it IRL in the ocean when you're literally, they were bolted into this tiny little submarine, so it takes a minute to get in and to get out. I think at least 20 minutes or longer to be properly secured in and taken out. And not only was there only a little like PlayStation game controller that was how they used to uh, get around in this little vessel, and by the way, the game controller was connected via Bluetooth, which already scares me just in real life, which would obviously scare me a thousand times more if I was miles down in the ocean. Like, what if you lose connection? There's not even a USB or an outlet to plug your fucking controller in? Like, that is such a red flag. Like, oh, it's just wild, wild that these people were like, saw that and were like, okay. And beyond that, something that's a personal trigger for mine is that the bathroom aboard this tiny little vessel was not actually a room. It was like a plain toilet that there's like a clear view that everyone could just like turn their head and like see you taking a shit or whatever you're doing in the bathroom. And they're like, oh, we just turn our heads and play music and you know that you got to do what you got to do. And they're down there for like, I think the original trip was like over six hours, I believe. So like somebody's using the bathroom and it's just gross like uh just like 
red flag after red flag as if paying a quarter of a million dollars wasn't already enough reason to not do this like then you have to take a shit in front of people like awful traumatizing terrible and lo and behold as we all know they did not survive so they lost connection like pretty soon after going on into the ocean onto their journey doubt they even made it to see the titanic so it was all for nothing and the vessel imploded so it just like caved in on itself which is pretty awful and they literally described it as a catastrophic implosion which i mean like i'd like to have an exciting death but i don't think i'd want anyone to describe it as catastrophic that just sounds pretty bleak anyway but more like kind of funny even though like this is a pretty tragic story because obviously people died but one thing that was a little humorous that we can take away from this tragedy is that somebody named Brian Saz, I don't know how to pronounce this last name, it's S-Z-A-S-Z, 37 years old, the stepson of one of the passengers, Hamish Harding, uh, this was just hilarious. He like tweeted, he was like, oh my god, oh no, like stepdaddy, you're on the ocean gate vessel like sucks but like i'm going to the blink 182 concert like hope this makes me feel better and he's like thoughts and prayers for me please and just his like attitude towards it was just so nonchalant and lighthearted that we're like wait i was like no way that he's actually actually related but yes he is that is his stepfather and people of course did more deep diving into this person and Brian, the stepson, has apparently been to prison for stalking, got out somewhat recently, I think in the past two years. And yeah, is just a diehard Blink-182 fan and really needed that to lift his spirits. And Cardi B actually like called him out, I think on like her Instagram story or something, being like, yo, this is fucked up. Like, your stepdad's probably going to die. Like, what the hell? You need to show some empathy here. And he fired back, clapped back at Cardi B. And it was like, trash celebrity Cardi B. Like, how dare you? Like, I am upset, blah, blah, blah. And honestly, this guy, Brian, like, I think he's like kind of on the spectrum or something. Like, definitely seems like Asperger's is a possibility based on his whole attitude. Like, I looked at his Facebook. Just weird, weird statuses. Like, just very juvenile and like, childlike acting for being 37 like who knows what the deal is but yeah I really got a kick out of that one like you know raving it up at the Blink concert while his dad's like about to die and of course everyone's like oh my god like him like trying to bank in on uh you know his like millionaire stepdad that's why he's so excited so I'd like to know did Brian cash in I mean that's not a blood relative I don't know if Hamish has any, you know, biological children, but I wonder, did Brian cash in on this death that recently occurred? So, like minds would like to know, I'm sure. Someone please let me know if Brian got a cut of the uh, fortune. All right, moving on from that tragedy to another thing that could have been a tragedy, Madonna's bacterial infection. This just happened like a day or two ago and pretty scary not because it was that serious, but more so because people are like, whoa, like, what if this was serious? So Madonna was allegedly found unconscious by someone on her team and was rushed to the hospital to be taken immediate care of in the ICU because she had a serious bacterial infection. And who knows what the fuck it was because they haven't told us. But uh, yeah, but to be found unresponsive or unconscious or whatever, they made it seem very dramatic how she was discovered and rushed to the hospital. So, like, that can't be good. Is it, like, a staph infection? But don't those take, like, a really long time to heal? I don't know. It just makes you think that this is, like, code for something else. Like, she, like, was, this was, like, maybe, like, a potential, like, like, a mini overdose or something. Like, I don't know. She gets pretty wild, that Madonna. Like, she was probably maybe, like, cross-faded and, like, maybe, like, she thought it was, like, weed gummies but it was like mushroom gummies and then she like i don't know i'm just this is all you know me uh hypothesizing what uh you know induced madonna to go into this state <laughs> where she needed to be rushed to the icu 
I don't know, gonorrhea? Like bacterial infections typically, I don't know, maybe I'm just totally wrong. Like I'm certainly not an ER nurse, but like what are you getting rushed to the hospital for that's a bacterial infection? Usually you just like take an antibiotic, right? I don't know. I guess I wouldn't be a very good doctor. But yeah, this just got me thinking like what if Madonna died? Like what the fuck would everyone do? Like every gay man would just like melt into the floor. Even if you're not a Madonna stan, like you're just aware of how significant a death like that would be. Like whoa. Like arguably like definitely one of the biggest pop stars of all time, arguably the biggest to just die and during pride month no less like oh god like you know so many gay men would just be suicidal especially like gay men that like thrived in the 80s and 90s during like her true true uh peak fame and you know musical talents like oh yeah that would be pretty devastating Oh, but thank God. That's not the truth. That's not what happened. Uh, She's already out of the ICU. She's in the clear, said someone from her team. So she is doing well. She's on the up and up. Madonna will survive because that's what she is. She's a survivor. Has anyone seen that cringe video that's like her being like, Prince is gone. Michael's gone. You know, listing off all these other legends that have passed away. And she just ends it with, but I'm still standing. It's like, oh, are you ever, Madonna? Like kind of tone deaf but also kind of iconic like ah she's just that bitch and I also just love Cher's attitude towards her like I wonder what kind of you know statement Cher would put out if Madonna passed like I always think of this time when I think it was like 10 years ago whatever like kind of early teens album Madonna released and someone tweeted at Cher they're like what did you think of Madonna's new album and Cher just replied I got a colonic so good queen i mean share on twitter is the best like you really if anyone isn't following her or looked into that shares tweets are ones for the books for sure okay now that that's all out of the way we've talked about a few other things it is time to deep dive into the true i don't even know what word can accurate accurately describe The phenomenon, I guess it's a phenomenon. It's a bizarre phenomenon that is, and just like that. These first two episodes, I thought I was going to recap the first three episodes because three have been released now. I watched the third one this morning, but I just wrote so much shit. I, I don't think I have the energy or the bandwidth to go over three full episodes. It's just going to be those first two that were released, um, you know, upon the premiere, And can I just say, these first two episodes were a disaster. So there's that. But I will also say, that third one I watched today, there was some vast improvement. I might say that it is the best episode in all of and just like that, including the first season. So I'll get into that next episode. But for now, let's just recap these horrendous first two episodes that really just hit you like a ton of bricks i will say though that it started off hopeful they did so it starts off with the britney elton john hold me closer song you know obviously taken off of elton's original tiny dancer but um so that was a good music choice i thought and it's just all of the ladies like you know kind of like sexy slow walking into the room like carrie's coming out of her closet ltw's like coming out of some everyone's just like ready to fuck and it's like okay, I feel like they, I feel like they got it got back to the producers and writers, and Michael Patrick King that like oh there probably wasn't enough sex in the first season, and that's you know what a lot of people go to. Of course, they went to Sex in the City for that. We were hopeful to see that in this show, even though we get it, they're older, they're not having as much sex, but they're also not dead. So like we want some sexy time. So they really answered our complaints with that, and all of these women. are fucking you know in the first minute of the first episode so like that was nice to see everyone you know getting it on of course it was disturbing to see like a topless Che like peeking her head out of the pool or peeking their head out of the pool Che is just always a bit of a jump scare but you know we try to adjust and then Naya I thought that she was, like, divorced from her husband or fully broken up, but, like, I guess they're not. It, like, wasn't the most clear. No one really gives a fuck, whatever. But, like, she is not fucking anyone. Instead, she's, like, getting off to 
some sex scene of like a Netflix show that we're unclear of what it is, but that's what she's doing instead of having real sex and like been there, bestie, like get it, girl. Sometimes that's just all you can have. And sometimes it's honestly more satisfying because you don't have to deal with another person. But yeah, that was the first scene and it made us hopeful. It made me hopeful at least that like, oh, this is going to be good. They're going to focus on more of what we want. But all of my fantasies for the first episode or these first two episodes were quickly destroyed based on what else was, you know, what else was to come. I mean, there's just a lot to unpack. I can't go through everything chronologically, nor do you probably want me to. It's just a lot, a lot, a lot. And like these first two episodes kind of blur together to me because I watched them back to back. Not exactly sure what happens in which, so just bear with me and we'll just go kind of what I remember. Hopefully it's what you guys remember. If you haven't seen the episodes, I'm just giving you the cliff notes of the main points. And yeah, so to start off, these bitches are going to the Met Ball, not the Met Gala. I wasn't quite clear on if they meant the Met Gala or if they like weren't legally allowed to say the Met Gala, so they call it the Met Ball, because I know some people do call the Met Gala the Met Ball. It's a little bit interchangeable, but that wasn't very clear, and they also weren't very clear on like what was entailed there. It's basically just, yeah, like clearly it's going off of the Met Gala, and that's the big event that they're all kind of getting ready for, but like how the fuck did they get invited? Like, it's such a prestigious um, thing that anyone that goes to the actual Met Gala is invited by a designer, and that guest list is tight. Like, there's no randoms at the Met Gala. And I remember, like, the Fire Festival guy said in that documentary, said that he was selling tickets to the Met Gala, which I don't think is a thing. I don't think you can buy a ticket to the Met Gala. It's just not, yeah, that's just not how it works. So I'm wondering, like, were they invited? Like, did they explain that? If they did, it fully went over my head. And I've watched these episodes multiple times now. So whatever the reason was, I either missed it or they really aren't very clear on that. So that's, you know, what they're all doing. And Carrie, oh, Carrie's man that she's fucking is the podcast producer that the first season ended on them making out in the elevator, which was pretty hot. And it was just like, oh, thank God. She's over Big's death and she's ready to fuck, you know, which we all want. Because what I, I mean, it's pretty obvious, but I somehow didn't realize that in the first, you know, in the first go around of all of Sex in the City, like the entire original series, Carrie has like a different boyfriend every week, meaning like each episode, like different boyfriend every episode, unless she's in a relationship, which is only, you know, through given periods uh, in the series. So that's kind of what we want to see. We want to see like a man of the week, aka a man of the episode for Carrie. Or if not that, we want to see a full-on relationship. So it's, you know, kind of unclear, but we find out whatever, what's going on with this podcast guy. Bottom line is that he's hot. And I'm, I'm totally on board with that. And I very much appreciate that. So I kind of like this for Carrie. And I will say... Upon reflection, I think that this podcast guy, don't know his name, but I'd say he's the least annoying of everyone in this show, at least for these first two episodes. So yeah, maybe that's, I feel like people would probably agree with that though. Like he's hot and he just is kind of like chill and like DTF, like I don't know, I'm, I'm into him. But yeah, so they're, but then they're kind of having like awkward small talk. He's like, wanting he's like watching this cooking show and she's like do you love to cook and he's like no and she's like oh I've always wanted to poach eggs and he's like you can and she's like oh my god maybe I will and it's like is this where we're at I don't know it's just like the writing is just not giving like it was on the original sex in the city and it's like are they being lazy is this intentional I don't know but it's just like really not as satisfying as all the puns and like the quick witty banter that we know from the original Sex in the City. Ugh, so whatever. Like, go poach your eggs, Carrie. I don't give a fuck. And then we see, yeah, Che and Miranda. Like, it's a lot. It's just a lot. It's a lot to take in. There's finger banging. There's sex in a hot tub, which is like, I don't have sex with women, but from my understanding, there's you could easily get a UTI that way. 
sex in water, especially chemically treated water, is not preferred, whatever. Maybe it's just for the visual aspect of it, even though it was kind of not very sexy. I don't know, but whatever. Like, I will say, yeah, um, Cynthia Nixon looks great. Like, her body is, like, pretty lit, I must say, for a woman her age. And just, yeah, like, she does look good naked, but seeing Che naked is a bit uh, confronting and... I don't know. It's just not something I really want to watch. But yeah, so they're in LA. And Miranda is just being like so erratic and needy. Like, I don't think we've ever seen Miranda like this. And it's just so unfamiliar that it makes me upset. Like, why is she so fucking needy and manic towards Che? It's just, I don't know. It's so foreign to the character. And it really upsets me. She's way more erratic than she ever was. But, yeah, there's that. And then, like, there's, oh, Miranda and this strap-on. I can't, like, brutal. I never thought I'd see the day. Again, because, like, not that a Miranda in the original series was homophobic or anything, but she wouldn't, she just wouldn't be down to be that, like, explicitly vulnerable to put on this wacky strap-on. And it's not just, like, a standard strap-on. It's, like, full body gear. It's, like, a harness attached to a, like, belted thing down your thighs with, like, garters. It is, like, a full body strap-on. And it's just kind of horrifying. And then they don't even use it. So it's, like, she just embarrassed herself for nothing. She's not even, like, actually going to put this to use. Whatever. I mean, we should probably count our lucky stars that they didn't because that would have been really traumatic uh and then like chase in this fitting for their uh their show uh, the sitcom and this outfit is horrendous i mean i think this is supposed to be the joke like it's supposed to be awful because chase not into it we as viewers aren't into it it's gross it's like a tacky like it reminds me of like a fitum project that like someone would have done at like the fashion school i went to where they, like, ran out of time, so they, like, broke a stained glass window and, like, hot glued the pieces to the lapel of a blazer and was like, look, this is, like, abstract fashion. And it just looks ugly. And then, like, now Che has all these, like, surrounding characters. Like, there's this other non-binary person that's their producer or writer or something, and they have a blue streak in their hair, and they're like, Che, we want you to have a blue streak. And it's like, no, no. But I mean, maybe that's the joke too, but it just like, it didn't make me laugh. It made me angry. Like no one wants that manic panic hair dye. And it's just, it's just so weird. It's just not anything that I ever thought this show would become. It's just like, <sighs> like I'm just like pulling out my hair while I'm watching this. It's just, ugh, a lot, a lot, a lot. I don't like it. It is just preposterous. But I don't know. Yeah, again, like, kind of just bouncing around here. Like, don't really know what's going on. Like, what is LTW doing in these two episodes? I'm not really sure. Her, like, bitch of a mother-in-law, who's actually kind of fabulous, like, strolls in. And they're like, oh, no, like, we have to braid our daughter's hair for the grandma. And it's like, do you? I don't know. And then, like, the mother-in-law, upon viewing LTW, is like, oh, I see. You just, like, performed your matinee at the Lion King. And it's like, uh, her outfit's like kind of chic. Like, I mean, it's a little bit Chico's. But then it, here's the, my thing, though. It's like, why are you dissing her outfit when both of these women look like they were styled by the same person? Like, they're both buying from the same seller that's like, you know, giving things to the real real or something like that. Like, they are very aesthetically the same. So it's like, do you really hate her outfit or are you just like trying to be a bitch to her in any way? So I don't know. Like, I don't even really know what happens with the mother-in-law. She's just like there to like, I guess, you know, stir the pot or something. But I don't remember really what else happens with that. Like, does something happen with the mother-in-law? Like, I don't know. <sighs> and then there was Charlotte. Charlotte, uh, like, all of her storylines are very like, they're kind of like I Love Lucy-esque, but they're just not even as funny or like physical comedy as that. They're just bullshit. I'm not sure if it's this episode or, oh no, I think this episode she's like worried because she's like, oh, I'm going to the Met Ball, but oh no, Harry thinks he's going, he can't go. Uh, like, is that really stressing you out? I don't know. But like what I remember more vividly, and this was like just such a disappointing storyline, was that 
Lily, that little bitch. Like, something about Lily is so annoying. I think it's because, like, not to, like, read this actress, but, like, I don't think the actress is that great. Like, granted, like, she's not really given great material. Like, her, the personality of the character is not really developed. Don't know if that's because the writers are to blame or the actress that plays Lily is to blame. She's just all around just kind of lame, though. And, like, this could have been more exciting in some way. But Lily is apparently hell-bent on, like, getting a new piano or a keyboard. I don't know what the fuck. I don't know instruments. But she's like, I need to write a song or, like, sing my song. And, like, my piano's too dated. Like, okay, you ungrateful bitch. Like, you have so much and now you, like, are complaining that, like, the quality of your keyboard isn't good enough? Like, figure it out. Well, actually, she does figure it out because what she does is she sells all of her designer goods to not the real real but to the real deal some like gen z imposter company that's like not as good i don't know but she sells all her shit to buy her keyboard which is crazy because when charlotte looks at her closet it's like empty and it's like bitch you had so much good shit in there that like did you even get your money's worth like did you spend it all on the keyboard like where's the rest of your money in savings and Charlotte's devastated because there was a Chanel dress in there that, I mean, rightfully so. This was, like, apparently from Carl's last collection, and uh, Lily just gave it away. Like, it was a fucking, like, free lemonade or some shit. Like, ugh, Lily. I mean, is anyone else just super annoyed by Lily? Like, fuck her. I think I'm kind of jilted from Lily because she's the one that hid Big's phone in her little Jude Lieber uh, cupcake purse in the first movie when, you know, Carrie couldn't get, or Big couldn't get a hold of Carrie. It was all fucking Lily's fault. And then Lily's piano recital is when Big died. And if Carrie hadn't gone, he might still be alive. So blame Lily. Blame Lily for everything. And now this injustice of selling off one-of-a-kind Chanel? My God, what a bitch. So yeah, Charlotte's devastated. And that's just like Charlotte's whole story, I guess, is being like, I need to get the dress back. And then she's like, oh, maybe I don't. Like, my baby's growing up. And it's like, okay, whatever. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of just like team no kid storylines for just like that, especially Lily, because then with this new keyboard, she like sings a song. And like, that's the last thing I want is Lily singing her like, pathetic little song that is like clearly trying to even say on the show like what are you the next Billie Eilish and it's like you're not Lily you're not that cool you're not that cool and you're not that stylish and you know what now you're really not that stylish because you gave away all your fucking Chanel so jokes on you I guess I mean like I don't want the kids doing anything unless they start doing like jackass stunts or some shit like put rock in like a uh, shopping cart and uh, cannonball them like off a ramp into a lake or something that I'll watch but if it's not that like these kids can shut the fuck up like they can just essentially be background actors and I feel like that's enough it's like we know they exist but we don't need to hear from them okay moving on from Charlotte's bad storyline Naya Naya I actually kind of like the actress and the character because she's like kind of getting a little slutty which I appreciate but like her all of her scenes in this first two episodes might as well just be an entirely different show she just feels so far removed from the other girls that it's like why are you here what are you doing i don't know it's just whatever that's all i have to say about that she like puts on some lingerie or maybe that comes later i don't know anyway it it's kind of has nothing to do with the story i don't think she goes to the met ball whatever all right let's get past that to here's the real bombshell for me in this like uh you know catastrophic hullabaloo of a mess episode this dress that this bitch called smoke bobby lee's girlfriend brings to her is unforgivable like it is the ugliest dress i've ever seen carrie would never fucking wear this it's awful i mean this dress is like a project runway accident like when they can't come up with anything fast enough so they just go to like not even plan B, but, like, plan C to, like, just, like, throw something out on the runway to make sure they, like, have a finished product. It's garbage. It's, like, a white column dress that has, like, blue, like, ribbon stripes, like, sewn down it, and they're, like, 
different shades of like blue and teal and it's just ugly it's stupid it's like who okayed this like I mean maybe the point was for it to not be good because she ends up not wearing it because smoke is such a stupid bitch that she like hasn't gotten it together enough and like she let a tailor tailor it incorrectly and it doesn't fit Carrie at all and there's just no fixing it so she can't wear that horrible dress thank god because it was hideous and instead smoke is like oh no like sorry i fucked up but like do you have a different dress which like any normal person would be like absolutely not i don't have any like evening gowns to just like whip out of my closet but of course fucking carrie does and not only does she but it's the vivian westwood dress from the first film which is such an epic dress like in the montage in the film of all the wedding looks that she puts on the bridal couture i will say the vivian westwood dress was my favorite i'm so glad that probably pat field like ended up picking that one for her to wear for the first film it's just great like it's so beautiful and like it is a great moment that she's like oh no like can I or can't I because like oh obviously it's so tied to like the emotional saga of big and like the tragedy of what happened when she was wearing that dress and he left her the altar which funny it's funny and brings me to the other point that on my favorite podcast every outfit the girls that run the every outfit on sex in the city instagram they brought up an amazing point of like imagine Carrie at the Met Ball in that fucking dress sharing that long-winded story after like two glasses of champagne to anyone that will listen to her being like oh like actually like this dress was from my her my wedding and oh my husband no he's not here he's actually dead and actually I didn't even get married in this dress actually he left me at the altar and I ran down like Park Avenue and like hit him with a bouquet and cried and then I went to Mexico and cried a lot more and like I never actually wore this dress down the aisle so it's not actually technically I'm just annoying myself at this point but it's just hilarious the way they tell it and it is true you know Carrie would just go on and on and like people would be like you know slitting their wrists listening to her talk about this fucking dress but lo and behold she wears it so all of the girls minus Miranda and Naya go to this Met Ball they all look pretty great uh uh, LTW somehow is wearing like custom Valentino which by the way that's not how that works you can't just like be rich and get custom Valentino but whatever in the world of and just like that I'll accept it because at least it's something visually beautiful she looked great Seema looked pretty great like off to the races and they're going but like oh so the other weird thing about this is a like a kind of B or D storyline is uh that uh anthony keeps like getting invited and uninvited but it's like you what like first of all like homophobic like come on like why is the gay guy getting the shit under the stick and also like you wouldn't be able to do that so casually to an event of this caliber like those are written and locked in like you can't just be switching it up hours before like they were but whatever uh anthony does end up going because Harry is like, what, I'm not going to meet Rihanna? Like, Rihanna? Like, then I'm out. And it's like, of course you're not going to meet fucking Rihanna, Harry. Like, she doesn't give a fuck about you. Like, you're not coming. So I'm, I'm a little upset with Charlotte for just not putting her foot down and being like, no, no, Harry. Like, the gay man that actually cares about this is gone, but whatever. Oh, and by the way, Charlotte's outfit is, like, pretty unhinged and wild, but I, I, I appreciate it. It's just like a dominatrix equestrian like victorian era woman look it's like a leather corset within this like skirt that has this crazy bustle and it, it's just kind of outrageous that that's what they landed on because it seems like extremely costumey but whatever it was it was interesting and i loved like the dominatrix element again it was yeah it was pretty out there kind of giving like a little bit of uh julia fox energy at least with you know components of the dress but yeah that was that was fun and then i have written here i don't remember exactly when this happens in the first episode but apparently it does is like there's some point where they cut away to la with che performing at like the laugh factory or i think it's a comedy store and che is so wildly unfunny that it just blows my mind that these are the jokes that were written in. Like, they ha like how is this the jokes that were written in? Like, 
it makes me think it's like Sada is coming up with these themselves, or if the writers are, I don't know. They just really don't seem like what would cut it and make it into the final episode. Like, for instance, Che's joke, the final joke of their set is, Aw, oh, man, I'm so lazy in L.A. I took an Uber from my bedroom to my bathroom. And everyone's, like, hysterically laughing at that. And then they go, they do, like, a follow-up little end bit, and they go, and it was expensive. And then everyone dies laughing even more. And it's like, are you fucking kidding? That's your final joke? And that's not funny. And why is everyone laughing? Like, this is what the issue with Che is. This is what the most deep-rooted issue with Che is, is that Che is not funny, but we're told that they're funny. And as an audience... When you're told that something is when it simply isn't, our natural reaction is to reject it and get upset. It's kind of like in a if you ever see like a play, or I'm sure it's happened in TV and movies, when a character is described as like the super sexy one or the super hot one, but the actor playing them is not hot at all, like are like inarguably unattractive. It's our reaction to reject it and get upset because it's a lie. It's like, this This is not what... Why are you telling me this? It's not true. And that is the big problem with Che, is that Che is not funny, yet everyone is pretending that they are funny. Ugh, whatever. Anyway, the girls go to the Met Ball. Che isn't funny. And the last ending quote is, and just like that, I repurposed my pain because where Carrie's wearing that dress that originally caused her so much pain, which... You know, it was satisfying because it left it left on a, you know, a bit of an upbeat note, which uh, which I enjoyed. Oof. Okay. Whatever. Like that was the first episode. A lot to unpack. Like I can't even do a play by play that intense on the second episode. I'll just say a little bit about everything from what I remember is that Seema in these first two episodes is the most likable person and the reason why is because she's the only one bringing any sort of remotely samantha energy like she's the only one that's like kind of a baddie kind of sexy or you know like overtly sexy and just like living her best life which was obviously samantha's thing and she's the only one doing that and this specific scene where she like tells off her like gay hairdresser because he's like you you have too many red flag too high standard ah, ha, ha. and she's like uh fuck you i pay you to blow me not to shrink me that just felt very samantha which i respect and yeah Seema Seema i'd say is the best character um yeah or like the best new female character for sure I mean, this second episode, it was just a lot of, like, what I just remember is, like, Che and Miranda flailing about, especially Miranda. She just seems to always be, like, in hysteria, like, running around being like, oh, Che, like, please love me. And it's like, shut the fuck up. Like, this is not the Miranda we know. It's just, it's really upsetting to me. Oh, and what Carrie in this episode is, like, so it starts off with her talking about these, like, embarrassing vagina ads or, like, vagina suppository ads that she has to talk about her on her podcast and she, they're just so uh she's just not willing to be that vulnerable these are so cringe and embarrassing i just can't do it and it's like can't you carry like you've been talking about like like sex and granular detail for decades like you you can't talk about vaginas haven't you always talked about vaginas i don't know it's like kind of funny but like kind of not because it's like this is unrealistic and it's like Carrie should like you know be mature enough to do this Samantha certainly would have certainly would have done it so whatever she doesn't want to talk about vaginas that like evil wheelchair boss woman like you know marches in or not marches in but you get it but uh comes in and is like oh my god like talk about the vaginas Carrie what the fuck is wrong with you and it's like why is this woman so angry like, she was just that angry in the first season, I remember, and now it's she's still bringing that angry heat into the office. And it's like, what the fuck is up, bitch? I don't know. She's too much for me. Uh, so then the hot podcast guy is like, hey, how about you come to this, like, whiskey tasting or some type of party with me on a Tuesday? And Carrie's like, oh, like, caught off guard. And she's like, okay. But then she tells someone later, she's like, oh, I can't do that. Like, that's a Tuesday and we only fuck on Thursday. It's like, I only have like room in my heart for Thursdays for this man. And it's like, oh, get over yourself, Carrie. But she just won't. I don't know. And then I don't know if this would happen in the first episode or the second episode, but apparently 
Che like doesn't want to be touched by Miranda. They're like getting awkward whenever Miranda hugs them and they're like, oh, like, please don't touch me there. And then Miranda confronts it and she's like, something's off. Like, what's going on? And Che is like, I'm on a diet. And it's like, wait, is that a joke? I don't know. But then like, they're like, seem super serious about it. So it's like, wait, is this like, are we supposed to think this is funny like as a viewer or is it funny like within the, I, it just was like a weird tone and it also makes you wonder like is this a lie I don't know whatever I act, I honestly don't think it's a lie though I think it was just like a weird attempt at a joke that just didn't fully land so yeah Che is like struggling with like trying to lose weight apparently don't know if they'll really continue on that storyline but that's what's happening for now very confusing. And then there's another scene of Miranda. Apparently she's still identifying as an alcoholic or a recovering alcoholic. She's sober. Another tie back to something in the first season. I wasn't sure if they were going to continue. But uh, yeah, so she's at this AA meeting. And it's honestly the chicest and cleanest AA meeting I've ever heard of. I haven't been to an AA meeting. But based on what I've been told and see in other film and television they're usually like in a very secluded no windows room with like folding chairs in a circle so like this literally looks like they're at like a art gallery opening and it's like okay I don't think this is what AA meetings are even like in like the nice parts of Malibu or wherever the fuck they are but whatever and then Miranda makes friends with some nameless woman maybe she has a name I don't remember it but she refers to herself as an activist which I guess means like an activist and an actor, which is kind of the most pathetic thing I've ever heard of. Like who would ever want to own that title? Like yikes, that just means you're neither. You're neither an actor or an activist, bitch. And she's like, you should come to my beach cleanup to Miranda and Miranda's like, cool. And it's just like, I don't know. It's just like, why is this where they went with this? And Miranda's like on the beach, just like, again, flailing about, being nervous and like, uh, and then she's so nervous she loses her phone and she can't find it. So she has to use these like hot surfers phone to call Che. And she's like, I can't, like, I don't know. Or actually, no, she didn't know Che's number. So she had to call someone else to get Che's number. And then she was like, oh my God, I don't even know Che's number. Like, uh. And so Che is like, I need to go meet with Tony Danza, who's playing their father on this sitcom. Miranda's like, okay, well, I need to get home and I don't have a phone. And Che's like, I'll handle it. So this hot guy picks Miranda up, who's Che's friend, who's played by Oliver Hudson. And then shortly into their car ride, we are told that this isn't just Che's friend. It's actually their husband and not ex-husband, still husband because they were both too lazy to get divorced. Yeah, kind of a whirlwind. And Miranda's like, of course, a little taken back, but like not as much as you'd think. It's just a weird vibe. And also like, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it. Like Oliver Hudson and Sada Ramirez, like I don't think that couple was ever happening. It's a little unbelievable, whatever. It's what we're being told. And I guess, you know, you get what you get. And, uh, oh, another thing that I don't even know when this happened. It might have been episode one or episode two, but something I remembered of LTW. It's not even with LTW. It's with her husband gets a random scene where he's, like, just thrown in to, it's just thrown in there. And it, I don't even know it has much to do with anything, but he, it's basically just, like, clarifying to all of us that, like, racist things still happen in New York City because this cab driver, like, won't let him and his daughters in the car. And the daughter's like, it always works with my friend's dad, who's like presumably white. I don't know, just kind of a weird thing to remind us of, obviously, and just like that is obsessed with being woke, so it doesn't really shock me that they'd include this, but it's just a weird vibe. And also like, who gives a fuck about LTW's husband? And it also made me think that if they're going to have some sort of similar scene uh, like this in relation to Che and hate crimes like is Che gonna be like subtly or aggressively hate crimed in some way as a reminder that like oh even though Che is in Los Angeles like a very liberal place like you can still get hate crimed I don't know I just feel like this sense of impending doom that some version of that might happen I mean I hope not yikes anyway that happened uh whatever uh so then Miranda is like you're married Che and Che is like yeah like how funny but whatever and just like plays it off like it's nothing and Miranda like kind of goes with it 
I don't know. It's just so weird how, like, okay, because it's like, if that's not going to cause a fight and that's not going to, like, be a conflict within the show, then why are you telling us it? Like, is there, is, are we going to see Oliver Hudson again? Because he actually wasn't in the third episode. So is that just it? I don't know. It's just weird. It's all a weird vibe. So all that happens. Don't know what happens with Maya. Don't care. Luckily, I don't think anything much happens with the kids. Don't care about them. Who the fuck knows what else even happens. But the most notable other thing that happens in the episode is that Carrie just ultimately decides it's too much. Can't be in a relationship. Can't limit to anything more than Thursdays with this podcast producer. So she ends it. And then with this, the podcast also ends because she just could never figure out that vagina ad. And I guess that was the only thing holding the Sex and the City podcast together. So now it's just over. So that was kind of disenchanting too, because it was like, oh, I thought that this was going to set the tone for the rest of the rest of end just like that. And this podcast was going to be the equivalent of Carrie writing her column every week. But apparently not. We're not getting that. So that's that. And as she's prancing off after breaking up with the podcast for produced podcast producer we get it our and just like that of the episode and she says and just like that i freed up my week or some shit like that and it's like yes carrie because you inherited millions from mr big and you don't have to work anymore <sighs> so yeah you have a pretty free week you could have been fucking that guy more than just thursdays but whatever it's your life Ooh. And so those were the first two episodes. They were brutal. They were haunting. They were hard to get through, but I managed. And yeah, more to come. I mean, the third episode, thankfully, was much, much, much better. Like I said, probably the best episode I've seen in all of and just like that. So yeah, I'll recap that next week along with whatever else happens in the world. Yeah, it, it's just too much to unpack the third episode. I just can't put myself or anyone listening through that. So yeah, more to come next week. And that's it for Girl Blogger for now. All right. Love you guys. Bye. Ooh.